If last week was a miserable week, can this week be described as merciless? People have to stay warm, you know, in temperatures like this, what are you gonna do? Brutal cold shuts down much of the city and rolling blackouts prompt scores of questions. I would have just expected a little more info from them. I have no doubt there will be much time for investigation, litigation in the future uh, to figure out what, what went wrong here. Also this week, new frustrations over the vaccine rollout. I'm on lists everywhere and nobody can help me. We're on their list. We're on every list that you can be on. And for a second year, canceling the St. Patrick's Day parade. This is the greatest day of the entire year. This is better than Christmas. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead on Week in Review. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlies Gorley, Haas and Wilkerson Insurance, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Nick Haynes, and thank you for joining us. Like you, we're just getting the feeling back in our fingers and toes after a bone-chilling week that pretty much disrupted all of our lives. But our four new reviewers this week survived to tell the tale, checking in with us on the big screen from 41 Action News anchor Dia Wall and from KNBC 9 News chief political reporter Michael Mahoney. On call from the Kansas City Call, editor Eric Wesson, and from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. In addition to living through a pandemic, Kansas City experienced a new level of suffering this week as a record-breaking cold snap descended on KC, and the merciless weather brought with it a new term to add to our lexicon, rolling blackouts. They need to hurry up because this is, we're going on pretty much five hours now, and that's a long time. Somebody was not telling the truth, you know, along the way. You know, the folks that are paying the bills, you know, they deserve some answers rather than let's just turn your power off for 30 minutes and call it a day kind of thing. Some people complaining they were not informed that the power company was going to cut their electricity off. What could they have done differently? When Evergy's main mode of communication with customers is through the monthly bill through the mail, dear wall. You know, and that's the problem. People will remember when those bills show up, okay? They said that they are making these decisions pretty quickly, right? Once the grid gets overwhelmed, then they initiate those rolling blackouts. Evergy says they have a list that they keep, try to make sure vulnerable people aren't shut off. But we know those systems aren't fail-proof. Some people lost power for 30 to 90 minutes. Others lost it for hours. And so it's a consistency issue and definitely something that they're going to have to look at once the temperatures go up. And as somebody from Texas, dear, you know, things could have been a whole lot worse, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the problems they're having down there right now is, I mean, they have a privatized electrical grid, right, that covers 90% of the state or so. The challenge is some local reporting says that they did not winterize those systems. And so as a result of that, they can't operate. There's a lot of false narrative out there about, oh, this is wind energy's fault or this is but why we can't have more, you know, renewable sources of energy when it comes to powering our communities. The problem is, I did a little digging, right? In 2019, 41% of the energy in Kansas came from wind, 33% from coal. If you look at Missouri, 73% of the energy in 2019 came from coal. This is not about the source. It's about the systems in place to make sure they don't fail. So, Michael Mahoney, other than the fact that more people, of course, were using uh, utilities during the course of this uh, record cold snap, what other reasons explain why we had this blackout? 
Well, uh, Dia touched on on one of them, uh, the, the fact that there was a lack of preparation and lack of winterization down in the Texas system. However, the other thing that uh, directly affected the rolling blackouts here is that the the, the equation between supply and demand got out of whack, and it got out of whack throughout the Southwest power pool. Now, Evergy says that they uh, had enough power for their system, but at the same time, um, they were having terrible uh, issues with trying to get enough natural gas because the, uh, the pipes and the systems uh, down in the South, not just in Texas, but in the Southwest power pool, which is Arkansas and Louisiana, places to our south were not working and then uh in even in kansas the wind turbines the hydraulics froze and so the amount of wind gener uh, energy generated by the wind was down and the coal piles froze and when they tried to burn coal it doesn't burn as hot when it when it's cold like that so there were energy generation issues here as well. So with all of those problems, Eric uh, Wesson, the idea that we would have rolling blackouts for about 90 minutes or so, or so they claimed, uh, seemed to be a very fair way of doing it, was it? Well, it was pretty cold, and I, I don't think, you know, that it really affected people if they did the 30 minutes. I think after that, the four hours, five hours, I think that affected people more than anything else. But this is, you know, this is just a conspiracy theorist. Uh, look for your utility bills to go up. They need to upgrade their equipment. That'll be the excuse that they use to jack people's uh, utility bills up even higher. Uh, we got to modernize these plants. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. So look for them to go to the Energy Commission and uh, Jeff City and ask them for rate increases. Dave Helling, if the Pandemic. Okay. Okay, go on then, Michael. Uh, respectfully, Eric, that's not how it works. Uh, in, in Missouri, the Public Service Commission, uh, they predict the rate costs out six months. And then every six months, a utility comes in, whether it's Evergy or Spire or any, and they go, all right, was this prediction accurate or not? If it was uh, too high, the prediction, customers get a rebate. If it was too low, then you're paying a, a, a surcharge. Uh, and the idea that they're gonna go down and uh, uh, try to use this as a mask to uh, uh, to upgrade the infrastructure, um, I don't think that's gonna happen. Uh, and I don't think it's uh, happened in other places. For instance, this wasn't the first incident of a mass blackout in Texas, and it was because of the weather 10 years ago or something like that, wasn't it, Dia? Uh, yes. and, the and the fact of the matter was they said, hey, we got a weather rise, and utilities down there didn't. Uh, upgrading well, the infra infrastructure, upgrading the infrastructure is a decision by the companies, not by the Public Service Commission. Well, in 2011, you are right. They did have another winter storm. They did not have blackouts to this extent, Mike. And the other thing, the Texas governing body did go to the state legislature. So while millions of people were in the dark, they had time to go and say the rates had to go up because of supply and demand. Okay, but Dave, it didn't happen. The okay. utilities didn't do it. And I absolutely never say what utility companies won't do. I can show you my utility bills uh, to prove that my water bill here in Kansas City, you know, they can go up on, they can come up with an excuse and they've got a panel yeah. that will listen to it. Dave Helling, we'll if, okay, Dave Helling, <laughs> if the uh, pandemic showed the limitations of our public health system, 
What did we learn about the power system in this country and in our area as a result of these blackouts? Well, well it, first, it's fragile, which has been talked about for a long time. The electric grid in our country is susceptible to these kinds of problems, Nick, not just in our region, but across the nation. Uh, you're going to hear uh, lawmakers talk about infrastructure repairs, and this will be a part of it going forward. The other thing we learned is that it's very interconnected. People think that it's just about Evergy or just about Texas. The fact is the grid, as Mike has pointed out, at least in the Midwest, is part of a pool, and they have to balance <laughs> demands across 14, 15 states. So it's in interconnected, fragile and susceptible when the temperatures either plunge or go up dramatically, which, as the climate changes, is going to become more and more common. So this will be an issue that will dominate political discussion for some time. To so come. if you're in Kansas City, on, in Kansas or Missouri, will you see your bills escalate next month yes, when they come and through? Yes, here's why. And Eric talked about building in new, new infrastructure. That will be a long-term part of it. But the price of natural gas exploded over the last week. And the utilities are permitted to pass the cost of energy, raw energy, along to customers. Now, will they do it over time? Will they you know, drag it out for a year? Will they get it all in one bill? Uh, that'll be uh, a discussion topic for uh, corporation commissions in both states. But your bills are going to go up because of this incident. Yeah, he, uh, Dave's exactly right on that. Uh, what's going to happen in Kansas is uh, the KCC, in an emergency order, told their utilities uh, on first thing Monday morning uh, in the teeth of this, we want you to track and set aside all of your costs involved in this big coal snap and the and the energy crisis. And then we also want you to come up with a plan to spread and smooth out, is their, their phrase, the the bill for this over over a period of time and so that that's what they're they're looking for and there's going to be an investigation in kansas for sure about this i'll bet you there's one in missouri as, as well um but uh that's the plan in kansas the to set this uh this money aside in a separate account take a look at the cost just the way an expense report gets examined by your boss um and then also have the utilities come up with a plan to uh try to smooth out the increases that most definitely are coming uh, to uh, customers, and they're going to be on the bill for a while in both Kansas and Missouri. The bone-chilling temperatures this week shut down state offices in Missouri, closed courts in Kansas City, and led to the cancellation of classes in school districts. It also delayed vaccine shipments and scores of mass vaccination events in our region. With anxiety and frustration levels already high, did we really need another slowdown in getting shots into people's arms, dear? No. No. And no, okay, we need to get the schools open. We need to get frontline workers, all frontline workers, okay, vaccinated. It's just one of those things where they're all happening at the same time, right? We're in the midst of a pandemic. We have this crazy winter weather. Electrical systems are struggling. Roads are bad. I mean, this is just a soup of a lot of different problems all coming together at the same time. So no, we don't need these delays, but I would encourage people, the struggle here is there's so many different ways that your counties, that your cities, that your states are implementing their vaccine rollout. And so it's really up to the states to determine who gets it, when, why, how, and through what methods. So 
it's all mixed up. You really have to rely on your own city, your own county, and getting on those lists where you can. And because of that, dear, our viewers are incredibly frustrated and feeling resentful over this. We're hearing from a number of our viewers again who are annoyed about what they say is the unfairness in the system. Richard writes to us about what he says is the inequity in 70, uh, 65 and over vaccinations. He says in Johnson County, health systems are doing much of the vaccinations and they are ensuring their patients are first in line. If you're unaffiliated, you're left out. Is that really happening, Dave? Well, yes, uh, the rules are different depending on what part of the state you live in, not just in Kansas, but in Missouri. I think that's part of the frustration. For example, in Kansas, they announced, hey, if you're over the age of 65, you're eligible. But being eligible is a very different thing from actually getting the vaccination. And I can speak with some personal experience since I qualify as being older than 65. You put your name on lists, you hear nothing. You check back, you still hear nothing. Uh, and, and that's just a recipe, Nick, for uh, concern, frustration, anger. Uh, again, it's much like the electricity problem. There are explanations. But as a political matter, people are just fed up with the inability of uh, authorities to deliver what they think they ought to be uh, delivering to the public. Is there something different happening here than is happening all around the country, or is this what, what everyone is experiencing, Michael? No, uh, there is there's a great deal of confusion about this because of the way it is set up now in the fact that the federal government still is handing off allocations to the states. The states are handing it off to local agencies, and that's where it varies from uh, um, uh, state to state and sometimes even even within a state. There's a great deal of frustration here, especially on the point that Dave made about uh, uh, being eligible for it or an agency or a health institution taking care of their folks. Same thing happened with the Paycheck Protection Program last summer. Remember this, banks were making sure that their customers got taken care of rather than somebody that may not have had a business relationship to them. So it's all about connections and it's very frustrating, it's very disappointing and uh, it needs to be addressed. And right now, I don't see any uh, real strong solutions. We've also heard from grocery workers this week who are also feeling left out. Alice in Roland Park writes, I thought we were considered essential frontline workers. How come we're not considered essential when it comes to the vaccine, Eric? You know, and that's a great question because they're coming in contact with people uh, off the street constantly, the same. You know, they might not be in the same proximity as a nurse or a doctor, but they are still in a public position where they're coming in contact with the public as well. Uh, I do want to applaud, uh, though, the Veterans Administration, VA system. They sent out a robo-blast last week uh, telling veterans that they had extra shots. They allowed them to come in, and they probably serviced about 400 veterans last week just on walking and uh, getting the shots. And I got one, and I'm not as old as Dave Helling or, or uh, Mike Mahoney. Nobody's going to do that. that. <laughs> but I was able to get a shot, and a lot of younger people under that age were able to get one as well. So, right, and can I just say, Nick? Shout out to say, them. Yeah, just quickly, I don't begrudge anyone getting a shot. I mean, you know, right. this is important. Everyone should have access to vaccinations, but the messaging has been very, very poor and it's confusing for a lot of people. And let's also face this reality. There isn't enough vaccine to go around. I mean, you know, in, in Kansas and Missouri, there are thousands of people who would get a shot if there were just enough vaccines. And, but, you and, know, okay. and, and I, I question that concept, too. 
because uh, Morningstar, Reverend Miles, was able to have walk-ins as well. Uh, St. James United Methodist Church, they had some extra vaccines. They were able to do it. So is it not enough vaccine or is just the problem the way that they're distributed? It's the rollout. It's 100% the rollout. The VA operates on a list-based system, right? You already have to be within the VA system for them to notify right. you. Right. We don't have a good mechanism to notify everybody in any county. And I mean, I completely relate. I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten, not only from our grocery store workers, our teachers, our bus drivers, the very bus people drivers, who kept this community running and on its feet this entire pandemic, when we were all shutting down, now are asking for people to remember that, that they showed up for us and we need to show up for them. And it's amazing how many people who even have access to it don't want it. I saw an interesting story in the Topeka Capital Journal, Michael Mahoney, about corrections workers, 70% of Shawnee County corrections workers uh, refusing to get the vaccine. Is that just going to slow down our return to normal? Uh, yeah, well, although the uh, the latest news on vaccine hesitancy, which is a pretty uh, bureaucratic phrase, isn't it? But anyway, the the latest news on this is that the uh, the, the reluctance to this seems to be uh, reducing right now. And uh, you know, some of it is people legitimately saying, "Hey, this thing came out of nowhere, and I don't know if it is safe." There is also some hesitancy about doing it in uh, in communities of color for uh, reasons of discrimination and 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 the past history uh but uh, it's you know it's troubling especially folks that are working in um in jobs where they're with individuals all the time a lot of the time uh that they're reluctant to do it because it is going to slow down the vaccination um progress all righty as we move on on our week in review for the second straight year there will not be a saint patrick's parade in kansas city organizers announcing the march event downtown will be canceled with daily COVID cases way down and a big reduction of hospitalizations, what prompted the decision idea to cancel an event taking place a month from now? Now, Nick Haynes, we're still in a pandemic, my friend. Uh, not to make light, but people are still dying from this. Yes, infection rates are going down. Yes, the number of deaths are going down. But at the end of the day, we still are being encouraged at every level by our county, our city, our national health leaders and experts to social distance, to continue to wear masks. Um, I was in Tampa for the Super Bowl a few weeks ago. People not out there wearing masks in these crowds. And so, I mean, I think that, yes, we love St. Patty's. It's a great time. It's one of my favorite parades to ever be part of or experience. But having thousands of people gathered, maybe drinking, partaking, it's just not a good idea. I mean, it's just a recipe to have community spread. Michael Mahoney, when it came to the Super Bowl parade, a potential one in Kansas City if the Chiefs won, there was the concern, well, we can delay that. We'll have it later to have that celebration. Any uh, interest in having a delayed St. Patrick's Day parade, perhaps in June or July? None whatsoever, uh, Nick. And in full disclosure, as many of your viewers know, I used to be the chairman of the board for the St. Patrick's Day Parade and was a board member for a long time and remain active in it. Uh, this decision to uh, cancel the 2021 parade has wasn't a surprise to me at all. I've been uh, hearing about this from the current parade organizers for, uh, for a while. And it's for all the reasons that Dia just uh, explained. It's a bad idea right now to encourage crowds to do uh, do anything. And in terms of the Kansas City St. Patrick's Day Parade, it is on March 17th, 
for a reason because that's the feast day of St. Patrick. And uh, I don't think that there will be any effort to try to replicate the parade in any sort of fashion. Although there are also sometimes halfway to St. Patrick's Day uh, parade events in uh, September, six months away. And uh, th there's still a lot of uh, a lot of effort to promote the Irish culture throughout Kansas City at the Irish Cultural Center, of which I'm also a board member in full disclosure. Uh, but so, you know, but it's just a bad time. It's the wrong idea, uh, wrong time for a parade. Okay, if, it, if it's such a bad idea, why is it then, Eric Wesson, the week before that the Big 12 basketball championship is supposed to be coming to Kansas City at T-Mobile Center? Should that be canceled too? They probably will let them play the tournament without a crowd, or a very, very limited crowd. Uh, it won't be all the things that we're used to seeing down in the Power and Light District where they close the streets off and have street vendors and playing basketball out there. If they do have it, I believe it'll be very, very limited and very, very closed. Dave? Well, I think that, uh, uh, Nick, we'll see a lot of changes and discussion in the weeks ahead about big events like this. The Royals uh, opening uh, game is scheduled for, I think, April, late March, early April. Uh, will they have, yeah, I've got a cat that's decided to jump on my desk. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for that. The is that cat in the union? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I see this as a no. I see this as a potential ratings winner for us. Yeah, Thank you, Dave. Yes, I guess. Uh, anyway, she wants to be with humans. I guess. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so the Royals have some decisions to make. Other people have some decisions to make. Here's the important point from my point of view. We are very close, not to getting back to normal, certainly, but at least something that's recognizable in our community through vaccines, the rate of infection has declined, deaths are going down, hospitals, we're, we're, we're close, uh, but we're not close enough. And to do a thing like a parade or have a big 18,000 people at the Big 12 tournament threatens that recovery and could us put us right back in the soup again. So it seems important that the parade is sending us a signal, hey, we need to really, really pay attention now so that by June and July, we can get back to some semblance of normalcy. Michael. Just quickly, a heads up, do not be surprised if in the immediate future there is some change on terms of capacity in the Kansas City, Missouri COVID restrictions. Just say And you know, a couple of weeks ago, they had the Disney on ice at Sprint Arena. They canceled all of those shows based upon people testing positive. So. Uh, I believe that if they have one, it'll be closed and we can just watch it on TV. Okay, Michael, you can't reveal that and not say more about it. So are we about to remove masks, social distancing, allowing crowds anywhere indoors and outdoors? Well, I... Uh, what I'll tell you, what I'll tell you is, is that when uh, Mayor Lucas uh, spoke about... Um, uh, the latest version of the emergency orders, and that was back in January, in mid-January, about this time. He also said, look, we're going to come back and we're going to revisit this uh, four weeks later. Well, it's now four weeks later. And that's uh, so that's what I'm saying is do not be surprised if uh, in the immediate future, if not, to, uh, if not today, uh, this weekend, we learn about some ca capacity changes. Already, since the last time we gathered around this table, all four Kansas City area senators voted to acquit President Trump in a second impeachment trial. Here's uh, new Kansas Senator Roger Marshall explaining his vote. I want to just talk about the precedent that this sets. Does this mean that we should go back or have the ability to go back and impeach past presidents? Do we impeach President Washington and President Jefferson 
for owning slaves. All righty, Eric West, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this as we've talked about it so many times over the last several weeks, but should we be at all surprised that all four senators in our metro said no to conviction? Absolutely not surprised at all. Don't know what it takes to have had them change their vote, but I'm not surprised by any of it at all. Michael. Uh, what was interesting was a group called Defending Democracy Now!, a Republican group that is involved with uh, a Republican consultant, Bill Kristol, did put up advertising on Fox and Friends throughout the state of Kansas, aimed directly at Kansas Senator Jerry Moran, trying to urge him to cast a vote to uh, 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 to convict uh, President uh, Trump. Obviously, it didn't happen, but they thought that Moran was a potential swing vote. Interestingly enough, if you're going into downtown, there's a bull billboard rather uh, asking uh, Senator Holly to resign. I thought that was really, really interesting. If you're coming in on 71, where it meets uh, 70 West, that's really interesting. Well, now the attention turns to what our senators will do on a new COVID uh, relief bill, which is next up on the agenda of Congress. This could include $1,400 checks. Uh, for most Americans, and some experts, by the way, say that money could be in your bank account by the week of March 8th. But we're also learning this week that Kansas and Missouri will get a big chunk of change from what looks more likely to be a Democrat-only COVID relief bill. How about a $1.6 billion in aid to the state of Kansas? Missouri would get a $2.8 billion payday. And there's money for our local cities. KCK earmarked to receive $53 million. Overland Park, $18 million. And Kansas City is slated to receive $181 million. Does that solve Mayor Lucas's $70 million budget problem, Dave Helling, and all the cuts he's now trying uh, to make to balance the books? Well, it would help. I mean, because uh, this money, unlike the money that came to Kansas City uh, in the first round of, uh, of COVID relief through the counties, uh, that money had to be spent on COVID-related expenses. One assumes that at least some of this money could be used for budget shortfalls, and it would plug an important hole. Kansas City, we did an interview yesterday with Catherine Shields, the head of the Finance Committee. She thinks Kansas City is in much worse shape financially than even the, the new budget suggests. So, yeah, that money would be important. But don't expect any help from Roy Blunt or, or uh, Roger Marshall or even Jerry Moran and, 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 uh, and Josh Hawley. All have said in various ways that this $1.9 trillion package pushed by the Bush Bush, by the Biden administration uh, is not something they feel like they can support. So it's going to be uh, Democrats like Sharice Davids who pull it across the line if it gets there. As new Kansas Congressman uh, Jake LaTurner said, this would be a bailout for blue states. But is he willing, though, Michael Mahoney, uh, to vote <laughs> no on bringing $1.6 billion to state government in Kansas? Well, we'll see about that, but he certainly seems determined by, by his remarks on that. What, uh, what was interesting was uh, Kansas Senator Jerry Moran was a group in a group of Republican senators that went up to the White House and talked to the Biden administration about cutting some sort of deal smaller than the $1.9 million, and they were proposing something in the range of $900 million. Uh, they thought that they had some pretty good talks, but it doesn't seem like the Democrats are moving off that $1.9 million uh, number. And uh, Moran also said that he was not uh, uh, enamored with the idea of uh, uh, money to, to local governments. and. Part of it was the Democrat blue city, blue state uh, argument as well. Can cash-strap universities 
take advantage of any of this money if it's coming to the state. You saw in Kansas this week, dear Wall, that even lawmakers now want to require universities to offer 50% tuition discounts uh, for college classes put online due to COVID. Universities are really suffering right now. They need help. Well, this is the classic example. Dave's right. The money before was earmarked specifically for COVID expenses. Right now, what the Biden administration is talking about would be able to make up some of the lost revenue that cities and states have experienced. But I, to your point, everybody's trying to kick the can. Everybody's trying to retain as much as they can to stabilize things. And so if you're not bringing in money, I mean, the city has a lot of people to pay. Um, I know that they have their own priorities and ways that they're trying to balance the books. I also understand parents who have their kids, their college age children at home who are doing virtual classes are like, why am I paying full price? The problem though is where's the money going to come from? And so I, it'll be very interesting to see. Yes, everybody's making these statements and doing all of that. People have a lot of political opinions, but I don't know a single person who returned their stimulus money on principle. The issue of giving tax incentives to companies continues to divide cities around our metro. Last week, Overland Park Mayor Carl Gerlach announced he would not seek re-election. He was being challenged for the job by a city council member who has made opposition to tax giveaways one of the hallmarks of his campaign. Now Kansas City is working yet again to limit the incentives it gives to businesses. Mayor Lucas has proposed eliminating the seven different panels that award tax breaks and replacing them with one commission that would make the final call. Some people may ask, why are there seven different groups doing that now? But what actual difference would it make if we did that? Would, would there be fewer uh, incentives offered? Is that the argument, uh, Eric? Yeah, I think it would be. And it would streamline one group saying it's okay to do it, another group saying it's not okay to do it. Uh, it would just eliminate a lot of uh, bureaucracy. I was down yesterday listening to the conversations with the soccer stadium uh, that they want to do up in the Northland. And, and what was interesting in looking at the proposal was the creative avenues they have in which to help fund it. You know, they're putting in $17 million, the rest of the money they're asking the city to help put in. But they had a, a money that they get from KCI project as well. So I think that these incentives, even though they say they want to cut them, there's a lot of loopholes that make it eligible for them to go and get money from the city. Dave. Yeah, one of the reasons uh, the mayor is concerned about this, Nick, is that developers do uh, shopping, incentive shopping in this city. When they go to one agency and uh, the TIF commission and say, hey, we need this kind of help, and the TIF commission says no, the developer will just pick up his or her bags and go to the Port Authority and say, what can you do for me? And what, and, or the LCRA or any of these other groups. And so I think what the mayor is saying is, look, we need a one-stop shop so we can keep an eye on this kind of thing. Expect a fierce pushback from the development community because they don't like this idea of limiting their access uh, to these goodies. Millions of dollars are at stake. They're going to be very active in trying to kill this proposal. Because I think, yeah. I mean, okay, sorry, Dia. I think the mayor's also under pressure, right? Because you ask your citizens to tighten their, their belt straps, right? You're asking everybody to be good stewards and time and time again, affordable housing has come up as an issue in this city, right? People not having affordable housing and there's no money is always the answer. But incentives continue to be approved and greenlit by any one of this alphabet soup of agencies. And so I think that that's the challenge. I think you, you have to do balance development in a city, but it's also citizens now are getting engaged and vocal about how they want their government to work. And that's putting pressure on the mayor's office. But Michael, developers <laughs> also, though, can shop around 
and they can go to other cities around our metro if they don't like what's happening now in Kansas City, right? Lucas made that a campaign promise to reduce the sort of incentive, so so there'll be in, uh, some pressure on that. I do think trying to streamline the, uh, the the river flow on this would reduce some of the Kansas City, Missouri uh, incentive shopping, but not necessarily metro-wide. It's been a while, but the police are back in the spotlight this week. First off, should police officers have to live in the city in which they serve? It's a question that's now front and center again in the Missouri legislature. Lawmakers making a new push to end a requirement that Kansas City police officers live where they work. Another bill lawmakers are now working on is a police officer's bill of rights that would give officers greater legal protections in use of force cases. What do supporters think will happen if police are allowed to live wherever they want? Do they believe crime will go down? More people will want to sign up? Up, I'm not sure. Uh, and the reason I say that is because this is being attached to another measure, right? When people are asking for reform. So they want to attach it to, well, you want us to make some reforms on use of force. Well, police should be able to live wherever they want. Now, this is going to be where I take my Michael Mahoney moment. No, I do not think that it is an idea that's going to breed trust with the community. I'm just going to be straight up flat out, not a single person I've talked to in the community active on this issue or concern says, oh, this is a great idea. When there's a lack of trust between a police department and large swaths of a community, separating them either for even further is problematic. Number two, Kansas City Police, to my knowledge, and again, I'm one person, so there could be additional context here, has not yet told me or anybody in, in our station that they've had an issue with getting full recruitment classes. In fact, they've had to cancel classes for recruits, right? And then number three, if you have one of the largest um, bodies of people who are paid by the city general fund, tax money, and they are all going outside of the city, and I don't wanna say all, but a large majority. Right now, a great number of Kansas City police officers support Lee Summit, Raytown, Liberty School Districts, because they live way up north and way out south. So what happens when we eliminate those residency requirements altogether all the tax money that Kansas City, Missouri residents are paying will be supporting city governments, infrastructure, services, and school districts outside of the city. And I think that that's the feedback that I hear and what makes this a possible tinderbox moving forward. Eric. You know, I was looking at the, the attachments. Chokeholds are already illegal. There is no legal chokehold. So to ban chokeholds, I think that's a sidebar conversation. And the other one they had, making it, it ban on law enforcement officials having sex with a detainee, really? Isn't that, is it consensual or is it rape? So I don't understand how these two bills get piggybacked in on something as serious as residency because residency gives police officers connectedness and owner and ownership in the community that they serve more so than if they live somewhere else come in here do a job then go back and take their tax money back with them dave helling is it going to be harder though for lawmakers to vote no on this when it is connected to other police reform measures like banning chokeholds, which many Democratic lawmakers approve of. Are they going to hold their noses and say, we'll ditch the residency requirements so we can have those reforms? 
Well, right. This has been an issue for a couple of years, Nick, because the Kansas City Police uh, Fraternal Order of Police has made uh, residency a top priority. They really want their members to be able to live outside of Kansas City. And so there have been various techniques attaching it to another bill, a standalone. It comes up. It's defeated. It's in committee. They're trying very hard to get this adopted. Uh, a reminder, the chief of police opposes this. The Board of Police Commissioners has also been concerned. The mayor doesn't like it. There is great opposition in Kansas City, but Jefferson City is a very different thing. And by the way, the police force generally has seven lobbyists in Jeff City, seven. So their voice is heard, and it may indeed come out of the legislature. St. Louis won this battle a couple of years ago, or at least ended residency uh, uh, pursuing a similar track. So this will continue to be an issue down there. And did it radically change the nature of crime in St. Louis because they did that, Michael? No, it didn't. And the St. Louis to uh, Kansas City comparison is interesting because it's not very valid. City of St. Louis is much smaller than the city of Kansas City, Missouri. And you can be a Kansas City, Missouri resident as a police officer and live up by Smithville, or you can be a cop and you can live down by Grandview when you're still in the city limits. Uh, um, there's lots of variety. This is not ordering the cops all to live in downtown lofts or at Westport or at 39th and Truce. There's a lot of variety already. When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big story we missed? She's come out of the coma. Five-year-old Ariel Young awake after that crash that almost took her life. Laying to rest a civil rights activist, former Kansas City Councilwoman Carol Coe has died. And remembering Missouri native and talk radio pioneer Rush Limbaugh. Rush worked for several Kansas City radio stations early in his career. He also spent five years with the Kansas City Royals in group ticket sales. I was miserable. After five years there, I was making $18,000 a year. Now, I don't know what kind of money that sounds like to you. But believe me, in Kansas City, Missouri, at age 32, it's an embarrassment if you take yourself seriously. Both Kansas and Missouri now moving on bills that would ban transgender students from competing in girls' and women's sports. Is recycling about to take a big hit? The Metro's largest trash hauler wants to do away with weekly recycling pickup. They say rising costs are to blame. Does this make you feel warmer? The Royals return to spring training in sunny Sunrise, Arizona. And break out the sunscreen, the deep freeze finally coming to an end. Are we really about to hit 50 on Monday? Okay, dear Wall, was it one of those stories or something completely different? Definitely one of those. Five-year-old Ariel waking up is significant. Still a very long road for her and her family, thinking about them, praying for them. Um, I don't think we can take our eyes off this. And, and still a long road for the investigation. Eric Wesson. Carol Cole passing. Tremendous advocate in the black community. Uh, I did the story about her, and I learned so much more than I didn't know how actually cultured she was in going to the White House, eating with the Reagan White House when our friend Alvin Ailey got the Kennedy Center Award. I never knew any her being able to do that. So I would say Carol Cole. Michael Mahoney. The death of Rush Limbaugh, uh, the conservative icon, in particular because even though some people will loathe him and others will like him, he had distinctive Kansas City connections, worked at KMBZ, 
worked in the promotions department of the Royals, and regardless of his politics, and that's a big part of it, uh, you got to chunk out, uh, he had an amazing career as a broadcaster, starting as a high school DJ down in Cape Girardeau, and ends up uh, a billionaire broadcaster and probably reviving AM radio in general. So it's Limbaugh. Dave Helling. Well, I'm working on my own uh, column about Carol Coe. Mike Mahoney and I covered her, of course, for many years in local politics in the city council in the, in the mid-1990s. She was very complicated, but her influence is undeniable uh, on a whole new generation of, of politicians, let alone the influence she had when she was in her heyday. She's a fascinating story. She is not liberal or conservative in the sense that you and I might understand it. I think Carol Coe's passing marks a real, a real moment for Kansas City to think about her career and her legacy. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to Dear Wall from 41 Action News and Michael Mahoney from KNBC 9 News, from the Call newspaper Eric Wesson and from the star Dave Helling. You won't see me next week. We're moving into our fundraising drive. It's what pays the bills around here. We'll be back here right afterwards. Until then, from all of us here at Kansas City PBS, keep calm and carry on.